Um, The reading tonight is from Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray together before we start. Dear Lord, just as you inspired... Paul, to write these verses, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, will bring them alive uh, for us in our hearts and in our minds and apply them to our lives. Amen. Um, uh, There's an old joke about a person who gets lost and uh, who then um, asks, stops and asks somebody if they can tell them how to get to Oxford or or anywhere, wherever they go. And the other person says... Well, I wouldn't start from here. Um, and we're in a bit that situation, really, because uh, in the passage we're looking at, <clears throat> we're starting at verse 9, uh, love must be sincere, but in a sense that's not a good place to start. So we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 12 and uh, verse 1 and 2, which you got up there. <clears throat> Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Well, let me stop there for a minute. So that is key. It's in view of God's mercy. What we're looking at tonight and what follows in that chapter is all to do with God's mercy or in response to God's mercy. So that's the first thing. I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he's urging us to offer ourselves... uh, into God's service, basically, offer our lives in God's service. Secondly, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the second thing is that we should be transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind. So, what we're looking at tonight is answering a sort of question, really. If you did those things, what would that look like? What would it look like? Well, in verses 9 to 21, we're seeing what it looks like. Now, you may have noticed, um, as we had the reading read to us by Anna, that uh, it sort of like bounces about a bit. Just give me, I'll give you another example. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you. It's sort of leaping about a bit. And people have found that that's, you know, maybe it's not very organized as, as a passage. 
Um, but um, <clears throat> uh, I got an example of a chap called Eric Morecambe. Dead now, unfortunately, but he, uh, Eric, was a really good comedian. He, uh, and there's this sketch, one of his most famous sketches, and he's playing the piano, and he's getting it all wrong, basically. They're not like Joe, but uh, he's getting it all wrong. And uh, this famous musician uh, comes up to him and says, You're playing all the wrong notes. And uh, he says, I know I'm playing all the right notes, but not necessarily in the right order. And in a sense, that's what this passage is like. It's all the right things, but not necessarily in the order that we would like. But then again, it's not a list of like detailed commands. It's not a complete list of what to do in any given circumstance. It's more a picture of how we should live. It sets out an attitude, an attitude of the heart. Having said that, there is sort of a structure because there are themes that run through it. And uh, overall, it's the application of love to our relationships. And so there are three relationships that it uh, particularly refers to. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with our enemies. So first, a relationship with God. And this is a new relationship with God. Uh, and it will be a new relationship with one another because of Christ. So our passage starts with verse 9, love must be sincere. So right from the start, we see that the motivation to live like this is love. And the love that Paul means is um, a word called agape. It's unconditional and self-sacrificial love. And he uses that word in chapter 5 as well. He uses the same word when it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the love that Paul is referring to here is the very love that God demonstrated through Christ to us. It's the very love that enabled us to have a relationship with God at all. But it doesn't stop there. There is this beautiful sort of chain of grace, of love, that follows. So God loved us so that we could be in a relationship with him. But now, verse 5 of chapter 5, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So now, if we have accepted Christ, trusted in him, then we have that love living within us. Hence, Paul then urges us to pour that love out to those who are around us. The Beatles famously sang, there's a picture of them in case you have no clue who they are. Um, the Beatles famously sang, all you need is love. But where do you get that love, that gift? Well, it starts and it finishes with God in view of his mercy and from our relationship with him. So we are then called to be Christians into a new relationship with God. Whereas previously we rejected God and didn't honor him, now instead we are to be distinctly and enthusiastically his. Let me read verse 11 to 12 for you. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Never lacking in zeal uh, is a challenge. Particularly, perhaps, strangely, for those who have been Christians a while. But the temptation is to think that zeal is for people who are new, maybe new Christians, or maybe people who are younger than us, or maybe even people who are naive. But in fact, maintaining our enthusiasm is more of a sign of maturing in the Christian faith than getting cynical would be. Of course, the influence of our culture nowadays is to be increasingly cynical and suspicious of people who have strong convictions, even embarrassed by strong convictions. But we are no longer to conform to the pattern of this way of thinking, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So secondly, we're called into a, a new relationship with one another. So verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. We're called to be a family of believers. A body, as Paul puts it, not independent of each other, but a people who are interdependent. So this is not then a little group who try and be nice to each other on Sundays. It's a group who are devoted to one another, honoring one another. A community deeply concerned for each other. And that's a practical thing about it as well. Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Obviously that means sharing any gifts or abilities that you have for the good of everybody else. Or any benefit... Um, in terms of resource that you have uh, for others. But it also has something else to it, because you don't have to have anything or be anything to share with other people. It is also sharing in the sense of, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. When we share our life with others and their lives, when we open our heart to them, share in their troubles, then that is of immeasurable value to other people. But it is, of course, costly also. So we are called to be a community shaped by genuine love, to reflect the love that's shown to us and to share the love poured out through the Holy Spirit within us. And when people catch a glimpse of what the church can be like, like that, rather than often what it is portrayed to be like, then that is hugely attractive. But we must never underestimate how truly revolutionary that is. Driving on the M25, I was, and they uh, came across something written on a bridge. Uh, revolution. Um, but as I looked at it, I realized that somebody had tinkered with the letters, so that it looks like that. I don't know whether you can see what's in there, but if you, the next slide shows its color. It's revolution with love at the heart of it. And that's what we're talking about. John Stott said, surely this is an underestimate. Churches would be happier communities if we loved one another like this. 
Thirdly, we're called into a new relationship with our enemies. Generally speaking, from verse 17 then to the end of this uh, chapter, it's about a relationship with our enemies. Now, of course, you may say to me, well, I don't know that I have any enemies, really. Well, I venture to say that um, you're going to meet people who sure behave like your enemies. And the truth is that you're bound to face hostility from a world that has rejected God, assuming, of course, you stand for him. Jesus says we would face opposition just as he did. But once again, we are called to a new way of responding to that. We're given four examples here of how to treat our enemies. Firstly, do not curse, verse 14. So that what means is really do not wish bad things for people. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, verse 17. Do not take revenge, verse 19. Do not overcome, be overcome, sorry, by evil, verse 21. The problem is there's sort of this inbuilt tendency from childhood to want to get even with people, to get our own back. Made me think of uh, an occasion when David Beckham, that's him lying on the floor, uh, during a 1998 World Cup match with Argentina. He was uh, floored by the Argentinian, and uh, as he lay there, uh, he could have got a free kick, but instead, as you can see, he couldn't resist kicking out at the Argentinian. Of course, that player went down as if somebody had cut his legs off. <laughs> so David Beckham got sent off. But it's just an illustration. We just often, in within us, we cannot uh, resist sometimes lashing out. But Paul urges us as God's people to not conform to that pattern, but to be radically different, to be, in fact, imitators of Jesus. Now, I should say at this point that I'm not advocating here, nor is this passage, that we put up with bullying. We should stand up for ourselves, but it's how we do it that's important. Wishing the best for someone who is behaving like our enemy does not necessarily mean submitting to what they want to do. So Paul gives us four counterparts to each of those do not. So where it says do not curse, he says bless those who persecute you. Where it says do not repay evil for evil, he says do what's right in the eyes of everybody as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave God to repay. Only retaliation, punishment, that is, judgment, are God's prerogative. Instead, we are urged to serve our enemies, overcome evil with good. That brings me to verse 20, this quote from Proverbs 25. So let me read that to you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It appears to be saying that if you retaliate, uh, or don't retaliate, sorry, if you don't retaliate but help that person, then you can rest happy because they're going to really get it when it comes to judgment day. Well, this is a very good example 
a principle when we read scripture. So when we read that, we need to ask ourselves, does that understanding, if we understood that verse like that, does that fit with what Paul has said up to now? Well, no, clearly it doesn't, does it? It doesn't accord with the overall theme of love, which must be sincere, or in seeking to bless rather than to curse. So we must rethink this. Have we misunderstood what it means to pour burning coals, or heaps, sorry, burning coals on their head? Well, it seems we have. Because it really means that by helping them, they will feel shame for their behavior. They will feel the pain of the guilt, the sting of remorse. Shamed into repentance by a deed of love. My favorite musical is Les Miserables, or Les Miserables, if you prefer. Um, I was uh, raving about it to this woman at work, and, uh, and she said, oh, I wouldn't watch that. And I said, why ever not? She said, the clue's in the title. In this story, Les Miserables, then you have this man who has, there's nothing to commend him, really. He's, uh, he's reached the end, uh, the bottom of life, in a sense, and he is stealing from a bishop who's been trying to help him. And uh, he's caught, but the bishop doesn't give him in. <clears throat> Instead, the bishop gives him what he hadn't stolen. And the man is completely shaken. He struggles with this, wrestles with it, and uh, in the end... He gives his life uh, to God's service and to the service of others. What a brilliant thing that would be if someone who is your enemy comes to see they're wrong, repents of it, and turns into a friend. But as you think about it, isn't that exactly what happens when we turn to Christ? In that way, you would be overcoming evil with good. And you would be serving your enemy's welfare. In May 2017, a suicide bomber killed 23 people at the Manchester Arena uh, after a concert by Ariana Grande. A month later, they had another concert, which they called Manchester One Love. And in that, they were trying to articulate a response of love to an act of hate. So the world does see the sense of this sometimes. If we curse and take revenge, get our own back. If we give in to evil, then we have not won. We've been defeated. It'd rather, however, we bless those who curse us, see to it that we are doing good then we overcome evil. As we reflect on all of this, on the whole passage, it's an, not an easy transformation, this, is it? But there is a song by a group called Florence and the Machine, which is, you've got the love. God does have the love, and he has poured it out on us, so we no longer need to conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed into a life shaped by his love. So my prayer is that we, you and I, may be uh, that transformed 
and it be to his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. Now, I got to um, just put this letter up here. So the last week we had the letter T, and uh, this week we got this one. And uh, the idea is that uh, as we go through the weeks looking at the book of Romans, this is going to build into a word, and I guess it's your job to try and work out what the word is, if that makes sense. Okay, so I'll be back in a bit with questions. Thank you. The first question, Andrew, could you possibly define the word zeal? Yeah, I'll have a go at it. Um, yeah, I'm not a walking dictionary, but I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, it sort of means enthusiasm, uh, energy, and uh, a commitment, uh, those sort of things, to apply, applying that continuously, zeal. So, yeah, does that make sense? Enthusiasm, energy, commitment. Yeah, perfect. Um, so how do we bless other people? Because most blessings spoken about come from God. Yeah, uh, a good, good question. Um, yeah, most blessings do come from God, but in a sense we're doing that from God. God gives, like I said, you know, he pours his love into us. And so um, we bless people by praying for them, uh, but we bless to by actually acting, you know, as he's directing us to help them. That does bless people, you know. And he, uh, you know, I call on, a, on an old lady who's lonely and you speak to them and that blesses them because you're serving God in doing it. Um, yeah. Perfect. Um, how can so many nice people who are not Christians display so many of these characteristics if they haven't been transformed by God's love? Yeah, good question. Because you do, uh, as Christians, you meet people and you think, well, they're, they're, they're really nice, they seem to be a very good person. Um, the truth is that we all are made in God's image. So you can see God's image in uh, loads of people, if not so everybody to some extent. So, yeah, we're made in God's image and you see it in people. That's, that, that, that's pretty much it. So... Um, uh, obviously, when you when you you're, you're saved, then you're, you're released from sin. Um, but it doesn't mean that other people who haven't yet had that can't do good things. Brilliant. Um, how is it possible to love our enemies while they're still our enemies? Hmm. Uh, uh, only through uh, the love of God, really, in in your heart. Um, um, and you see it, people are able to love their enemies. I mean, yeah, the person is still your enemy, so that is, obviously, that's a, a big barrier between actually reaching that person, but you can still, like it says, don't curse them, don't wish bad things on them. Try as far as you can to live at peace with them and uh, uh, pray for them. Yeah. Um, there's a few more that have appeared in, and we've got time, so... <laughs> okay. Um, what would be an example of how we could serve an enemy? Okay. Well, I, saw, I, I think I've just given you some, uh, you know, that you could pray for them, um, that you should not retaliate, uh, that sort of serving them. Um, and, it, you know, it's going to depend on the situation, isn't it? What 
opportunities you get. Uh, I mean, and I think that if you are looking for opportunities to do it, then they may present themselves. You could pray that God would show you. Um, yeah, but not retaliating, but responding instead by staying firm by what you believe and uh, in love. That's, that's the best thing. Um, this one's got a lot of votes. Um, in heaven, there w- will there be lesser angels and greater angels? And likewise, will there be lesser Christians and greater Christians? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't see the passage doesn't really talk about that. But uh, yeah, um, it's, it does seem to say, doesn't it, that when people go to heaven, they will... Uh, like it talks about crowns and so on like that, there will be people who you will see that they, uh, uh, you know, what, how they serve the Lord will be known, if you like. So, but I don't think there'll be uh, lesser or great, greater people, if you see what I mean, in heaven. We're all saved and you're going to be in heaven. But I think, uh, I think some people will be marked by maybe what they have done, what they have suffered uh, for Christ. Uh, in terms of angels, I don't know, except, of course, it does seem to say that there are archangels. So maybe, maybe there are some level. Um, how can we show mercy and love to those who resound in hatred when there is so much hatred and evil from people near the top of the world's hierarchy? Yeah, could you say that again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How can we show mercy and love to those who resound in hatred um, because there is so much hatred and evil from the people near the top of the world's hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, there is, and they they spread it and give examples of it, don't they? Um, well, uh, like like it said in the passage, really, we uh, we do that by maintaining or what we uh, believe. We maintain uh, we, we, our love is the way that we live. Uh, through Christ, it's uh, Him working in us. So we stick with that. Um, that's how we love. And of course, we can pray for them. And that—that's a big thing we could do. And the church does it. We're going to be uh, praying this week um, for new minister and so on. So um, prayer is a good thing that we can be doing to counter that. And then one last one. Um, verse 13 said, um, talks about the Lord's people. Um, so what does it mean by the Lord's people? Does that mean we're only meant to share with um, other Christians or can we share with other people that aren't yeah, Christians? Yeah, good question. Yeah, well, the passage, uh, when it says love one another, it is talking about other Christians. It's talking about our, our brothers and sisters, uh, fellow believers. So the passage is focusing in on that first and foremost. And, uh, and then, of course, it talks about enemies. So it, it follows then that if you're love, loving one another, and I think that's, that's important and key because if the church loves, if we love each other, then that will be such a brilliant witness to other people, uh, apart from the fact that that's what call, God is calling us to do. Uh, it would show God's love. But that doesn't then mean that you can't and shouldn't love other people. I think we should, uh, that would be loving other people as well. Uh, including our enemies. Brilliant. Thank mm. you so much for answering all of those. Okay, There's some pleasure. tricky ones in there as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you so Thanks, much. Sam.